Hello and welcome to episode 30 of season 3 of the Connect2 podcast. I remain Jeff Cullen. And I'm Mark Hughes. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm positive, brother. Positively yeah, positive. Positively positive. I'm sure yeah, I'm, I'm positive good. too. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be careful. In it. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, no, the test came back. No, no, I'm not that kind <laughs> not of Not that kind of positive. <laughs> So if you're new to the channel, rate, review, subscribe, check us out on Facebook. I'm trying to share more information. Mm -hmm. I've seen your posts. They are very informative. Yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes... Uh, Facebook. I, 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 I really enjoy even the process just of trying to find... Uh, just try and find the, um, the, the stuff that we reference during the episode. It's awesome. So... And um, because of that, I think we deserve a round of applause. <laughs> mm. We got an encore. <laughs> there you go. All right. That was fun. That turned out fine. It sounded good on the... Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> should probably listen to an episode or two of our... Uh... It's just so busy, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what jokes? Uh, coffee. We have coffee. Okay. So today's coffee is from Toronto, Toronto by Java Roasters. It's from Colombia, which is close to Colombia. And um, roast level three out of five. The flavoring note flavor notes are candied fruit, butterscotch, and milk chocolate. All right. And the varietal is nice. Katura. From Columbia. Mm. Oh, that's really nice, yeah. Say the process. Processing washed. Yeah, washed processing. So there you go. Nice coffee. All right. Excellent. I see you're wearing your Trump Force One shoes. Nice. <laughs> yes. I'm positively enchanted. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Those are crazy. Uh, <laughs> what are your dad jokes today? Do you right. have any dad you know jokes? I, absolutely. I, yeah. I, a theme. Farm animal related dad jokes. <laughs> no. What do you get if you cross an angry sheep and a moody cow? I don't know. An animal that's in a bad mood. Oh, man. Why aren't koalas bears? Because they don't meet the qualifications. Oh, okay. Hey, why did the cow jump over the moon? I don't know. The farmer had cold hands. <laughs> Why did the bunny go to the hospital? The bunny? Yeah. Uh, he needed a hoperation. He needed a hoperation. Of course he did. It was a, That's the French version. The Why did the chicken coop have four doors? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> because if it did with, uh, because if it did, it would be called a chicken. What the hell? Why did the chicken coop have four doors? Okay, because if it did, it would be called a chicken sedan. That's doesn't make any sense. I'm I'm reading it verbatim. That's not funny. I wanted to buy a pair of camouflage pants, but I couldn't find them anywhere. Yeah, there you go. Where do you send a bad pig? <laughs> I don't know. To the pen. Okay, last one. Why was the cat asked to leave the computer store? The cat? And he wouldn't stop playing with the mice. Oh, of course. There you go. Woohoo. What'd you learn this week? Uh, what did I learn this week? I'm trying to keep one. I learned a lot of things, but I we we're doing our theme of positivity. So what have I learned positive? Well, I saw a video that gave a little bit of perspective on two videos, I guess, big and big and small. I don't know if I really learned anything, but one was again a comparison of stars. And, uh, you know, these, where they'll do like the, the graphics, right. Where they show like, like here's earth and then like, here's our sun. It's like a million times bigger. And then they're like, well, here's Beetlejuice. And it's like, you know, it's maybe not a million times bigger than but our sun, but, but, and then they're like, here's another star, which is like a million times bigger than Beetlejuice. And here's this tiny speck. That's our sun and earth. Well, don't even think about it. So that was interesting. And I saw a video that did the opposite. They were saying like, how big is actually an atom? And they start with like a human hair and then they start drilling down, you know, with the magic of uh, animation, right? And just so a, a hair is what, a millionth of a meter? Something like, yeah, I think that's what they said. And then you're going to like 
fractions of a trillion trillionth of a meter when you get down to the nucleus and that's not even you know muons and gluons and so stuff is really small really small very interesting or really big <clears throat> depending on how you look at it so i learned a couple of interesting and somewhat trivial things <laughs> they're the best well let me put my phone on don't do you me. know what the difference is between rollerball pens and ballpoint pens no. I didn't either, but I do now. So ballpoint yeah. pens were invented like in the early 1900s hmm. to replace fountain pens. Right. Um, okay. They uh, are preferred because the it you know dries fast, doesn't smudge, sure. doesn't be, bleed through paper, comes yep. out slower, yep. and is less is cheap. Yeah. Now ballpoint pens use an oil-based paste. For the ink. So it's not, you can't put the same ink. Right. To, so it's not a liquid ink. It's not a liquid ink. Yeah. On the other hand, roller balls, which provide consistent ink flow, less skipping, it needs less pressure, mm. and it has a wider range of colors because it's a water-based. Okay. So it is a liquid ink. And it's from like 1964 or something like that. Wow. So they've been going for a long time. And um, it's quite something. There's this whole thing about pens. I mean, who would have thought? But so basically, uh, yeah, they look this. I thought they were the same thing, but they're they're totally, different, totally yeah. different. So rollerball is, um, and they apparently looks quite different when you write with them. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah. Ink that is, uh, I love that kind of stuff, you know. Like, there are people who are just into like watches. I like watches, I'm not a watch connoisseur. There are some, and then there are people like that with pens, right? They're like, This is my eight thousand dollar Mont Blanc, yeah. It's like, Wow, that's pretty exciting. Well, and Mont Blanc is known because they have these pens with uh, all the more colors than I think that they're. So I think with ballpoint pens, they're almost always just black or blue. Blue. I think there's some red, but okay. mostly yeah, black and blue. Yeah, there's definitely red, yeah. But Mont Blanc <clears throat> has all these colors, uh, and a Mont Blanc uh, cartridge only fits Mont Blanc. There's, yeah, and, and it's like Apple. <laughs> remember, the, remember the pen, that the astronaut pen you could write upside down? Upside down? From Seinfeld? Yeah, and then the, and then the, uh, the Russians just use a pencil. Yeah. Yeah, remember that the, that old Seinfeld episode because he liked the pen. Yeah, yeah. He's down visiting his parents at Boca Raton. And one of the guys on the calendar board had this pen, and then Jerry was like, "That's a nice pen." And he gives it to Jerry, and then complained about how Jerry took the pen. And Jerry's mom's like, "You shouldn't have taken the pen." And just he offered me the pen. <laughs> if he didn't want to give me the pen, he shouldn't give me the pen. Well, the astronaut pen. The big thing about it <laughs> took the pen. Was it's a pressurized cartridge, right? So then you can write upside down. Yeah, I like that. The Russians are we are very simple. They use pencil. Um, the other thing I learned, which is fascinating, had to do with early satellites. All right. So you remember, you know, Sputnik was the first. Absolutely. Scared, but, and I'm scared not sure. the living bejesus out of the Americans. But yeah. I think before Sputnik, um, we had a satellite-based uh, radio communication. Really? Yeah. So We did. The U Americans did. They launched these two things, Echo 1 and Echo 2. And what they launched was a giant balloon, a mylar oh, silvered balloon. So it wasn't really in, in, in orbit. No, it was totally in orbit. Really? It was totally in orbit. It was really quite high. So why did the Russians always get credit for the first satellite then? Well, because it's a balloon. Echo 1 and Echo 2 are balloons. Right. So they were these mylar reflective balloons, and they allowed uh, Teddy Roosevelt, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt, to be able to make one of the first transatlantic communications oh, via satellite. Of course. Because they basically the radio shot out to the this reflective sure. balloon and flew back. And it turns out it was actually quite effective. And they hung out there for a long time. Now, they had a real problem in terms of how to how to create these things because they needed to inflate it because right. um, I think it took 
on ground level, it was like 30 kilograms of air. Interesting. To fill. Yeah. But they only, but at height, they only needed about three kilograms of air. Okay. So rather than use, to inflate it at the, the they basically launched it. Mm -hmm. And then it deployed with these canisters that basically released a gas um, like a, an inert gas. Oh yeah. That, uh, um, three kilograms of it. And, uh, and, and they echo two apparently lasted in, um, in orbit for about 10 years. And the catch is they're quite big. So people complain right now about Starlink. Yeah. 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 But apparently that doesn't hold a candle to the size of echo, these two echo balloons that were circling around. So it was a familiar thing. You'd see it racing across the sky. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Echo one and echo two. Um, anyway. That's cool. Have you ever heard of the Black Knight satellite? <laughs> no, I have not. Oh. So if you're in the. Oh, is this the one that they don't know what it is? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you're a UFO ancient alienologist. Um, so there's two claims about it. There, they, there's been photos and uh of this thing and then nasa says well it's a thermal blanket and other people go like oh, i don't know it looks pretty big right but the claims and i don't know how the hell they would prove one of them they claim it's been there for thirteen thousand years which is like how do you know i mean and the other claim is that nikola tesla purportedly had picked up uh signals signals from, from it yeah, yeah. I, I, and he I, kind of was like something's up there of course he didn't have the technology to be able to see it but they claim that it's uh, this mysterious orbiting thing. And it's black. I've seen, in, at least in the pictures that purport to be of it. And they don't know it, quite what it is. It doesn't look like a regular satellite. It looks no. like some sort of... Like a and cape. And it's fairly pretty... No, it's pretty big. It's about the size of a car. Yeah, but it, it looks kind of like... Well, depending on the, the, on the, the, perspective. Uh, the uh, angle, right? <clears throat> so anyways, there you go. So that could be a positive thing or maybe not. We yeah, don't so, know. So Project Echo was two American spacecraft launched in 60 and 64 metalized balloon satellites. Okay. And oh, Wait, when was Sputnik launched? Uh, 57, I thought. It might be. Yeah, Sputnik, Sputnik was 57, so it came right. after. Yeah. But, um, but you know, contemporaneous. So I saw a thing Neil deGrasse Tyson did. But it's, his... So it's huge. It's the... One Echo One was 135 feet. Oh in wow, that so is huge. They're huge, and they look like big giant silver balls. This <laughs> uh, <laughs> says NASA on it, just so nobody gets confused. <laughs> Whose big ball is that? Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson did a thing where <clears throat> he went through all of the firsts space related that the Russians did. Yeah. Yeah. Versus the Americans. And the American list is pretty small compared to the Russians. Landing on the moon. Yeah. That's well, there's a, couple, there's a couple other things that, that the Americans did first. But when you look at the Russians, like, they really broke some ground. Which, again, is probably why the Americans freaked out and went, holy man, we got to catch up. Well, they had better rocket, they had better <laughs> rocket technology. They used right. more rocket nozzles that were smaller right whereas the americans kept going bigger and bigger and with the russians if one of the nozzles failed right you had all the rest of them sure. to take over and whereas the americans if they had one fail then the whole thing failed okay so that's an interesting question because we know who the americans had working for them Werner von donventions of our braun <laughs> Who was the Russian? Who were the Russian rocket scientists? Because yeah. they did not. I don't think a bunch of Germans went to Russia. No, they didn't. Right? And it was uh, no, the Russians. It was all homegrown. And there was this one particular guy, and I can't remember what his name was. And you know, I don't have an affinity for Russian names, but um, but apparently he was kind of, kind of considered the the godfather of Russian technology and okay. kept pushing in a particular direction. Right. So it was, it was super cool. So, you know, the Russians are, they're such a practical people like the, uh, the ubiquitous AK 47. Yeah. Right? Uh, always pulls to the left. Loved right by 
Mahmoudine and anybody cheap all over, right? It's because it's cheap. a very simple gun. It does very cheap. Yeah, it, it's easy to take apart. Yeah, the parts are easy to to machine, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just like so accuracy and power. Eh. Yeah, who cares? Not not as good. Yeah, right? but ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. Very practical. That is super cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I had never heard of those two great giant balloons. The other thing I so so I've got three things. So the third thing was so you've heard of the Carrington event, right? Yes. So eighteen fifty nine, they had a Carrington event that basically was a solar storm mm -hmm. that was huge, and it ended up causing you know tele tele um telegram machines to operate even if they weren't plugged in right. because everything was just energized yeah it becomes like a capacitor and and so there's quite a bit of fear of the next yes so there was one that happened in 2012 right the carrington level event occurred but didn't the flare go it pointed the wrong direction yeah exactly so the sun rotates about once every 24 days and we missed the Carrington event flare by 9.6 days. So it uh, it was just, is on the other side of the sun. Now, I've just learned something just very right now. I did not know the sun rotated. Yeah, apparently. And the interesting thing about it. Because it's just a ball of gas. It's a ball of gas. But what happens is it rotates. like it, it But it doesn't rotate evenly. Oh, yeah. So, um, so you've got a magnetosphere for the sun, right? The, the plasma rotates. I don't actually know what the, I mean, there's, but it rotates, but it doesn't rotate evenly. So the, the poles don't rotate as fast as the equator for the sun. And every 12 years, oh, okay. the magnetic poles. Sure. Because it's flip. not a solid ball. It's not a solid ball, yeah. but, it, and, but what ends up happening is you get these magnetic lines Right. Related to this and the, the this this um, uneven rotation causes the magnetic lines to twist and rotate on itself. Mm, interesting. So when what it, you end up happening is you get these like loops that come out, which are right. lines of plasma following one of these magnetic okay. lines, and then they rupture. And when they rupture, that's when you get a solar flare. And uh, and it's because of this twisting and of, of of the whole thing. Right. But we're not going to talk about that because that would be negative if we have one of these events and it knocks out all of our electronics. But we're it it flips every trouble. twelve years, right? Um, because the negative becomes the positive. Okay. So there you so go. So twenty twelve. Always think on the positive yeah. side. So this year. Well, I think it's it's either this year or next year. Oh. There there is a no. Well, so it it's when it flips. <clears throat> Nothing to worry about. There's just folks. more opportunity for bigger <laughs> flares, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have. Well, gonna have. and there seems to be evidence that the Earth's magnetic poles might shift. We'll flip at some point in time, but it's yeah, but that may be not eminent, but I don't think it's gonna be any time in <clears> our <throat> lifetime. But well you never know. Yeah. Like they don't know how it like how fast it happens or so. So I have a question for you. So today's <laughs> topic is I just bought this new compass. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> point in the wrong way. And just go and open it up and change the end to F. Exactly. Um so, uh, so positivity and how important it is. Like, I really do think everybody talks to about people who are positive and have a positive influence on you. And uh -huh. I mean, it, like, uh, like if you if things are going good, man, does it ever feel different than mm. when things are going bad? Like, right. positivity. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, so I'm gonna go deep here. Yeah, let's go deep. So. Uh, couple things um just talking about this on the weekend the buddhist and i'm not a buddhist so but the general idea of buddhism or one of them is this idea of suffering suffering is inevitable okay but, but continued suffering is can be avoided so in other words there's always going to be bad things good things and bad things that happen i mean it's mm -hmm. part of life right that's right but what you how you approach it, how you look at it, how you process it becomes very 
powerful, right? So many, many people, it's partly human nature. I think it's cultural. We, we, we fixate on things, right? Yeah. So for instance, the example being, let's say that you had some kind of bad interaction with uh, a coworker or your boss or whatever, right? Like it happened. It was no good. Or maybe you made a mistake or, right? So that is a, it's painful, right? It's embarrassing. And um, to be able to process that and then let it go would be sort of a Buddhist sort of practice. But for many people, we don't do that, right? We hang on to it. We replay it. We, we, we go to bed and we toss and turn and, oh, never should have said that or, right? So that's that negativity or, or, or unnecessary suffering. Another example would be somebody who would be, let's say you have conversation coming up or some kind of thing that you've got to do you're not particularly looking forward to it. You can cause yourself a lot of suffering by worrying about it, right? And and cogitating on it and playing it over in your mind. And then, you know, and how many times does the actual thing, then you go, oh, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, right? Well, so okay. you've spent all this time catastrophizing, right? So Cat that's part of it. Catastrophizing. Yeah. So, well, so I, I had a... I had a bit of an existential crisis when I was getting close to my 50th birthday and I met with a therapist. Welcome to the club. And at the, and one of the things that my therapist said at that time, and you know, I wish she was still my therapist because I really got a lot out of our okay. relationship. I'm sure you could just phone her up. No, no, she retired. Oh dear. That's a problem. <laughs> Um, but the uh, the thing about it was she said that one of the things that people don't realize is the act of saying things out loud to another person changes how your brain processes things. Oh, yeah. So that whole that. So it's not just that it's important to go talk to some to uh, to uh, to somebody to kind of get it out. It's. Once you actually, what, what do they call it? Name it to shame it, right? Like you basically. If name you, it to claim it. Yeah, that I think there's also a name it to shame it. Yeah. I'm not sure. Or shame. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch shame, of them. Shame are, dies, you know, in the light. Yeah. That kind of stuff. So the, so the thing about it was that just the fact that I was telling somebody about what I was going through. Right. Was amazingly cathartic. Mm -hmm. And so, allowed me to move on. Yep. And I think sometimes when your brain is sitting there spinning and stewing on whatever it is you're stewing on at the moment, um, just the ability to sort of get it out right. or put it on paper or do something with it sure. changes how your brain oh, it does. Absolutely. barricades on it. So. Our culture, American culture, Canadian culture, I'm not so sure about European culture, but... Uh, is very negative, right? It's very conducive to the opposite of positivity. And so there's a guy who wrote a book quite a few years ago, Martin Seligman, right? Psychologist. Psychologist or psychiatrist. You have these names yeah. of these guys. Whereas I'm like, I read something well, I've read the book. by somebody who did I, yeah, something. I read the book. So he wrote a book called Positive Psychology. I don't remember if he's at Harvard or anyways. So he, a different school of psycholo psychological uh, inquiry, right? right. Positive. What makes people happy, right? Okay. And so I remember one of the things was cultural expectations. So he had an example in the book about European women versus North American women and how happy they are in long-term marriages and European women. And again, I'm being very general. I can't remember if it was a particular country, but it was definitely somewhere in Europe because the cultural expectation predominantly is that, hey, marriages are not the end all and be all. Um, you know, you don't want to be miserable, but the expectation is not that you should be happy every day and, and right, there's going to be rough patches. Yeah, yeah. You're going to need, you know, it's not reasonable to expect your husband, and I don't remember if it was the same for men, but this was definitely women, to be everything, right? So with that, expectation European women at least in this study tend to have a higher degree of of satisfaction 
with their long-term marriages because they don't expect, their expectations are different, right? Mm. North American, there's all of this mythology around, you know, life partner and, you know, and then almost to the point where it cannot be for most people lived up to. Right. And then people are disappointed, right? Yeah, yeah. So the expectation is often a big player in the positivity. So, so Seligman, one of the big things you've probably heard about this is gratitude lists, right? Mm -hmm. That was part of his thing. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do or some point in your day is just take stock of two or three things that you're grateful for, like really feel into that. Mm -hmm. It makes a huge difference. Even if something crappy, (laughs) going back to the Buddhist thing, because crappy things are going to happen, right? It's almost like you are, Inoculated is too strong a word, but you are primed for, okay, a balance, right? Well, these things that I was grateful for when I thought about it still apply. So it's okay, right? It counterbalances. But if you don't do that, you can get into a negative mindset. Oh, yeah. And then there's inner talk. That's a whole other thing, right? How do you how do you speak to yourself, uh, that voice? That's right? true. Because my- screw something up and you're like, Jesus, I'm such an idiot. Well, <laughs> well, so so it's interesting because yeah, like I, it's funny because I, I I've come to realize so I don't have that negative inner voice. Oh, I mean, not, or or if I do, it's incredibly diminished. Um, you might be a psychopath, <laughs> but, but <laughs> or my, maybe you're just happy. But my wife has like this. Well, no, I think I'm happy. Yeah. I think. Maybe at a point, there was a point in time where I was a lot more, I, I don't Self-critical? Know, yeah, self-critical. Yeah. But I, I don't know that I was self-critical in the same way that, uh, now my wife has, has this persona she calls Claire, which is super judgy, okay. judges everything she does. And, and it's kind of this inner voice that, uh, and I don't think I'm telling any tales out of turn. doesn't but, matter. She doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> there are lots of others that have similar right. similar inner inner voices that are just sure. incredibly critical. Yep. And um, I don't know. Maybe I have the I have bouts of it, but I try very hard to avoid the circumstance where I would hear from that inner voice. Right. And maybe that's how I deal with it. So, so I don't hear it very often. Yeah. So when you get into certain kinds of therapy. I remember doing a, 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 a gestalt thing where you actually had to. What is a gestalt thing? Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know. It's a German word, but that's what the, <laughs> that's what my therapist called it. He's going to do a gestalt exercise. I said, all right. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the no, spot no, no, there. No. I'm going like. <clears throat> I think it's, uh, when you say the gestalt, it, I think it ties to like a collective consciousness kind of thing. Okay. Look it up. But anyhow. I'm going to look it up. The idea here was to try and, and project that inner, whatever that Claire, it's a great example, right? And actually almost like personalize it and then have a conversation with it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people tend to think that it is a negative thing. Uh, I guess it's negative in your day to day. What am I trying to say? Well, at one point when I was doing some work on it, uh, both my wife and I, because she has one as well, we both realized that sometimes you want to call this thing the yeah, the sentinel, right? So when you're a child, right, people grow up in different circumstances. And oftentimes there is psychological trauma, whether it is excessive or not. And this is not uncommon. And you... Partly this inner voice develops to become a bit of a guide and or protector, right? Right, right. So sometimes people find that they're that, that they limit themselves. And when they really go through therapy, they realize there was some pattern, some parent, some somebody, right? That so for instance, my with my dad and I, I always had the sense when I was a kid that to show him up was dangerous right okay. he's different he's people grow but you know when he was in his 30s there were certain insecurities and and just cultural ways of being that to to even though there was a lot of of not pressure but there's expectation that i would do well i always had the sense that if he if i did do well 
Well, I, I, example. So I graduated university, right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> he doesn't listen to the podcast either. So um, <laughs> there are people who do. Listen. So, well, that's fine. So this is not a bad thing. My dad always had this tendency to, to tell this story about his scholastic endeavors. Like he didn't go to university. He, he went, and this would have been in the fifties. He didn't and then, go to university? No, but he, 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 he went and then he quit. Okay. Right. Well, there's he lots was, of people that. Yeah. And, or he got kicked out. I, I don't quite remember. He was not a good student. Right. But then when he got into the insurance industry, <clears throat> he, he took courses and he became like a certified. Right. And so very rarely could I express or the issue of my graduating university. And I graduated top of my class in, in building engineering. Congratulations. That would not trigger his story about, well, you know, when I did these courses and, <clears throat> you know, it was equivalent to going to university and, you know, I graduated in the top 10 across Canada, which is entirely about him, right? Yeah. But that's an example of unconscious messaging. At least that's how I absorbed it as a child, which was, or even a young adult, which is, you know, you don't, you don't show up your dad, right? Yeah, yeah. Years later, deconstructing that as an adult and realizing that there's certain kind of limits that I was imposing on myself, mm -hmm. decide this inner voice, at least partly, was like a protector. It's right. like, don't do it. Don't do it because you'll regret it. The problem with your mind is when these things get formed, they're kind of internal, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't know that I'm now 45 at the time or whatever, right? And that the situation has changed. It, the it, same. it becomes this pattern because it's sort of animal brain, right? Yeah, yeah. So just like, whoop, right? So like, for instance, a child that is constantly told, don't touch that, be careful, don't get hurt, you know? Very rarely do they turn into adults who are, let's say, risk takers, unless they somehow deconstruct that 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 inner voice. Sometimes it can be critical, but sometimes it can just be like a protective, you know, it's, it, it feels like it's criticizing, but it's based on a pattern of protection. Right. Well, I, I mean, I remember when I was first working and, uh, so I was always terrified of getting fired. Like I was always terrified. Oh, really? Oh, for the longest time. Yeah. And, um, well, and as you know, my parents passed away while I was still yeah, pretty, pretty young. young. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's 30 years ago now. And, wow. um, uh, so I inherited a small bit of money, not a lot. Like it was <clears throat> Trump money. No, <laughs> it really was uh, very small. So my right. parents were, my dad in particular was at an age where he was less than 65. So because of that, there was all this insurance through work oh, okay. and insurance. Sure. They had a mortgage insurance. They had yeah, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because he died when he did, all of a sudden, my mom and dad, who financially were, um, you know, I often used to say they had a champagne taste on a beer budget. Oh, really? Yeah. And okay. uh, so they they liked the finer things in life, but yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't really have money. Okay. And uh, all of a sudden, when my dad passed away, my mom um, as part of the insurance payouts, all the debts were paid off. Wow. And, um, you know, the house that was heavily mortgaged was now paid off. Everything was paid off. Nice. So when my, um, was that a house back in back East? No, no, it was here in, oh, here. in Spruce oh, okay. Grove. Oh, okay. Spruce Grove. No, it was in Edmonton. It was in Edmonton. Yeah. And, uh, the, um, so when my mom passed away, my brother and I split uh, inheritance. And it wasn't big. It wasn't a fantastic house no, no. or whatever. But it was, you know, it was a right. little bit. Yeah. And, um, but what it provided me was security that I wasn't worried if I lost my job. Because right. I had a cushion now. I had sure. no cushion to cushion. Yeah. And what that changed for me was like, I am going to do the right thing for work, even if it, causes me to be fired right i'm gonna do the right thing sure rather than i'm gonna do the thing that we need to do even if it's not the politically sensitive thing at the right. time so it totally changed my perspective it was totally freeing and uh, um and awesome. allowed me to take risks allowed me to start my own business right. all this stuff because i wasn't i had enough of a cushion that i could last a little while without uh without money and um 
and and yeah so it, that that uh, that whole uh, safety mechanism associated right. with that protective voice uh it's kind of interesting because clearly i must have had some thing like don't do that because yeah absolutely but yeah. um but in the but the opposite was like the positivity i'm, I'm going to do the right thing right I'm gonna be. yeah absolutely and um and I have to say, when uh, when my parents passed away, I had an incredibly positive experience with uh, working at Eddie Williams at the time because, uh, like, I went to my boss. And I was like, I was devastated because my dad had just passed away, and my boss said, "Go home, take your time, take whatever time you need." Right. And was that Jamie? It was Jamie. Jamie yeah. Irving. And it was just, uh, he absolutely said the right thing that I needed to hear at that time. Sure. That just uh, it totally, um, and for me, I've had such positive role models uh, for for employment. Right. That, uh, I mean, when I worked in Toronto, I worked, <laughs> I had negative and positive. I had this uh, one guy who, it was, it was... Uh, my first job at a university okay. it was it was for this company that made uh, devices that monitored um, instruments for the pulp and paper industry. So, so as the pulp and paper is running through the web, right. the web and these things, these machines move fast. They have these sensors that go across the web and measure moisture. And you, and all and you quit that gig, man. I quit Sounds that like gig and, and when I went to the I'm a sensor guy. <laughs> well, when I went to the sensor the boss, like uh, I, I said, I said I quit, and he he said to me, he said, "What took you so long?" Oh, yes. and the average ten, highly supported ten, tenure of uh, young engineers was like eighteen months. I think I made it <laughs> two years. <laughs> And um, you guys have got quite the retention program. Well, and they were, and every six months, they, <laughs> they would hire a new batch of engineers, sure. and those engineers were making more than the ones that had been working for. Six oh months. man, it's like really, and but anyway, I went from. Hey, that. Where's the human resources department? We don't have one. Yeah, yeah not surprising. Well, and I went to <laughs> from that to this Believe small it. chemical manufacturing firm. Okay. Which was pro was one of the best experiences I've ever oh, had. Yeah. I had these two bosses, and I mean, they listened to me. They supported me. They were just, they were incredibly thoughtful gentlemen. I, I you know, I always think it would be great to catch up with them. I mean, they're probably retired by now. I'm retired. Possibly so. dead. No, I think they're still alive. <laughs> I think I've looked them up How's a couple of times. I think they're both at the same place still. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you should definitely. Look and um, well, it's in Toronto. And I'm uh, retired too now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're all old. But uh, for that, like th that that thing that Jamie did with sure. me, shaped me, and it totally changed how I approached any of my employees when they were struggling or having. Was was basically give people cool. the space and the time and the, yeah. So I'm going to build on that. Okay. Positivity. So we talked about some of the psychological stuff. Just recently, I was reaching out to a, an old acquaintance who runs like a like a men's group. Oh yeah. Um, how did you find it? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, no, no. Like how did like you just knew this guy was doing? Oh that? yeah, no, I knew this guy was doing that. Okay. He, yeah, the guy I've known for quite a few years, and he he's become a like a like a corporate coach or a personal coach, and he runs a bunch of stuff. And um, but I was having this conversation with my son because you know when you get older, uh, you got to put work into building uh, a support network. And I think men in particular. So my wife has two groups that she can tap into. And I just realized about a month ago, not even, that uh, I'd kind of let that drop. And you, you and I talked about this. So we do this, and that's great. It's not the same as, as particularly if it's a group that is coming together. Formally is maybe too strong a term, but let's say there's some ground rules, right? So we're yeah. not friends. We're not people that we don't hang out. And these, these men groups are often like that. It's like we come to a place, right? You can have an honest conversation about this, that, or the other thing. You don't get in each other's stuff. And you leave. And, and, and then you leave. And there's two advantages to that. A, I think 
sometimes it's hard to talk about challenges when the other person is directly impacted by them and or the the in some cases not the cause but a a a contributing factor right because we're human beings right so it's hard to just listen to someone say this is a problem and you're like well i'm part of this problem so now i feel defensive right to be able to just listen but the phrase that came was this this remember this adage about oh you know people often say it takes a village to raise a child right that was sort of the but when you pull back from that, <clears throat> in those village scenarios, different cultures, if you think about it, you had not only surrounding the child, but adults were, and there's still cultures that are like this, where women will go off and do certain things, right? And then the men, let's say, let's go back to to like older times or certain cultures, like hunting parties, right? Yeah. It's not all about hunting, right? So there was just this this community of support which is like they're not a direct relative and really it's a tangential relationship but you know what happens in your hut doesn't really affect my hut. my hut yeah yeah and yet we can maybe just be a sounding board for some of those common um experiences or advice or or whatever mentorship right and i think our society is so lacking that you know we think in particular entirely isolated particularly for men like i don't yeah. like Lori. well men and and teens i think well my kids are got a good group of friends but not every teenager does no my um my wife goes on about it because i mean there's a lot of uh, they call it the manosphere there's all these these online groups yeah, a lot of, of them are somewhat sketchy or or uh, i was gonna say um uh, not poisonous but uh, toxic toxic yeah jordan peterson-esque uh, yeah. well apparently jordan andrew peterson, tate well andrew tate in particular but jordan peterson apparently jordan peterson has really good things to say about certain things things yeah. that are in his wheelhouse right the problem is he will stray into things that are not in his yeah wheelhouse. exactly so he has a lot of positive things to say about about um, men, young men and young women, about sure about relationships and all this stuff. But then he starts going off into this other stuff, and it's the other stuff that right. he gets the notoriety for, right? But, Which, of course, I I think he he somewhat craves. I, I do <clears throat> think that that is part of it. But anyway, the the long and the short of it is is that uh, that whole my wife is basically going on about how that's really right now the only place for men to get a lot of commonality camaraderie right like right. there isn't the, the safer and, and there's a lot of a lot of toxicity towards men mm-hmm. um yeah that, that is not helping cisgendered it, white men in particular yeah, hello yeah exactly it's like it's like uh yeah it's not good but but uh, it is important to have those kinds of right. relationships and sure. positive environments. Now you know there's I guess there's two kinds of groups because I immediately think about the uh, what are they called the incels and right that's a negative that is thing, very negative. Right? But people are still seeking that that sense of belonging, so I, it can go it can break bad, or you can find and I think we need more of these positive positive. And I think this is where again there's this isolation. Our culture has got so many issues. For instance, the way we treat elders, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, shut up, grandpa. What the hell do you know? Right? But again, there was a time where that having access to that layer of, of wisdom, of wisdom yeah. right? Because let's be honest, there ain't much that anybody's going through that hasn't, someone hasn't gone through something similar in the past. I mean, maybe one in, once in a blue moon. Yeah, my TikTok right? is not working anymore. Yeah. Right like, you know, okay, Neil Armstrong, okay, nobody can really relate to, relate to his experience. I get it, right? But... Well, there's, what, 24 people that have been to the moon. Right, but he was the first, right? Yeah. But, you know, divorce, there's so many of these things that, you know, my kid won't do what I tell him or I'm having conflict or lots of people. And I think there's a power to that. Well, I know... Because even when we were running our, our, our executive coaching thing, right, <clears throat> one of the, and that was not for a long time, the, 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 the clients we had really found value in that, right? And yeah. I think that's why some of these groups work. Now it's a narrow focus, but it's still the same concept. It's like, I'm a business owner. 
I'm isolated. I don't feel, I can't talk to my, my, my spouse. I can't talk to my employees. At least I shouldn't, you know, about my problems. Right. So who do I talk to? Like, well, maybe an executive coach. Fine. That's a little bit like a therapist. There's some value to that, but it's pretty narrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, a group, right. Where somebody is going to go, you know what? I went through the same thing a couple of years ago. It sucked. You know, I can, I can commiserate. Here's how I dealt with it. I'm not giving you advice, but at least I'm, I'm creating some positivity or, yeah. or a place where you can find you're not alone. This is not unique. You know, all of these connections to, oh man, like I really respect that guy and they screwed up. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, again, our culture sends so many messages that are, are, <sighs> I'm going to touch on what we talked about last week, corporatism at some level designed to isolate, sell, right? Uh, so I'm going to, you know, gonna, where do you get your happiness? I'm going to challenge you. Drive this car. Woo. Are you happy? Ch- challenge you in a positive way. Okay. Okay. I want to know something that has happened to you in the last week or so that is super positive and you're very proud of. Oh, that I'm very proud of. Sure. Why not? Well, it doesn't have to be proud. Just something that's super positive in your life. Right well, now. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to this men's group thing because I, like two weeks ago, realized as I was journaling and and having an interaction that wasn't going well that it just hit me and I was like, oh man, you know what? And I could have stewed on it and like me, but I immediately took action and found. Now this is maybe the group that I'll I've only been once, but it had a pretty good. Right, pretty good but vibe. I but I I took action, um, pretty quickly. That's awesome. You know, reached out to my network because again, for a lot of people, the whole idea of even asking, open out, yeah, looking for a you know like looking a men's, for a men's group. Yeah, people are like, what are you gay or <laughs> not that kind of men's group, right? Again, what's our message, right? Stoicism, you know. Independence, Tough upper lip, bootstrap, stiff upper lip. you know, yeah. all that stuff, right? So to just be able to say, now, I was fortunate that I have, I knew, you know, a, a community where that was already kind of happening, right? Okay. Uh, I don't know if, you know, let's say you're playing men's league, you know, <laughs> speak up and, hey, by the way, boys, anybody know a men's group that meets, right? <laughs> That'd be a little bit. Fair enough. That's a little bit fair. maybe perceived as riskier. Yeah, right? no, I totally get that. At least, so, and for me. So, I'm really proud of that. What about you? For me, um, uh, so our son has had some challenges with school. Yes. Um, but he's been going to this school since the beginning of February. Phenomenal. He's doing well. Three weeks. So, and we actually met with, uh, so it's, a, it's a complicated school arrangement, right. but. You have to meet weekly, don't you? Sort of. There's yeah. there's biweekly for we're supposed to go for family therapy, and then there's like a family support group, which we haven't done, which starts next week on Tuesdays. Okay. Um, cool. But um, but so we're sitting there talking, and we're getting feedback on our kid, and you know I love my kid. He's awesome. He has definitely had some challenges. He has kind of decided that this is what he wants to do. And uh, has kind of made it happen. It's definitely not us. We've just kind of set the table and sort of said, you know, come eat if you want. And um, boy, but I'll tell you, it was it was incredibly. I am incredibly grat- gratified that uh, that he's doing well. He's having such a positive influence on other people. That is they say awesome. he's a joy to be yeah. in the class. Well, he's always been a really good kid. I he's mean, always you know, he's, been, he's always he's had been his a, challenges, but he, I think they were tied to. There's all kinds know, of. Yeah. So good for him, man. That is good news. It is really good news. And um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm very grateful. It was kind of nice to hear other people say, like, I know what a great kid he is. Sure. And, you know, my wife. Definitely right. knows what a great. But we is. talked about that whole neurodivergence thing in our in our series, right? And he doesn't fit the box, no. and so a lot of people don't respond well to 
difference exactly or divergence there you go right yeah so anyway it was good for him that's awesome anyway yeah that's super positive so today is a great day for me today is a great day um hey so let's every uh, day above ground like like old (laughs) people say every day above ground is a good day no yeah (laughs) you don't know that for sure what uh (laughs) what media have you been consuming i started season four of true detective oh jody foster one have you watched the other seasons? I did. Oh, and they were good? Season one was amazing. That's Woody Helgerson and, and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, yeah. Season two, I liked. A lot of people didn't. It was it was okay. But the show is so different, right? Because that was set. It's a different town, different cast, right? So that one had... So it's uh, just a detective series. Yeah. Where that's... But it's always these convoluted, almost verging on a little bit the supernatural. Okay. But not necessarily right okay. but yeah so vince vaughn a colin farrell rachel mcadams in season two right i think it was shut in chicago season three deep south and it is set in the back at a different time like in the 70s i think okay with uh Mahershal ali and another guy whose name escapes me and then this is one set in alaska modern day uh way up beyond the arctic circle okay. where it's like uh well, the, the first thing that the day says, you know, the sun's going down, like last sunset of the year. And now they're into the whatever, 80 days of perpetual darkness or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. it's got a real, almost the thing sort of feel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it's oh, good. I'm enjoying it. And Jodie Foster, who really hasn't been acting much. No. She's um, been more directing it. Most, more, more directing is um, the lead. And uh, she's, yeah, she's, she's she's incredibly good. fluent in French. I've heard that. Yeah, right. yeah. but it's uh, it's it's uh, it's Parisian French. Not so is um, damn. Now I'm having a brain fart. She was an alien. Sigourney Weaver. Oh, really? Also very fluent. Oh, I did not French. realize. That. Yeah, interesting. I, I saw. So I saw. Perhaps three, they speak French to each other. Maybe I saw three movies over the course of this weekend. It was three a long movies. Weekend. Well, I rewatched Dune. Oh yes, because Dune is about to be pulled off of the streaming service. What? Because they they want people to go watch it in Dune the theater two. because oh, Dune doing two the re-release. comes out the uh, beginning of March. Yeah, and uh, so I, I rewatched that. Really enjoyed it. Awaken the sleeper. It's really good. Is that part one? I can't remember. That may be coming in part two. That might be part two. Yeah. And then there's um um I I watched uh, Oppenheimer. I haven't watched that yet. I know it's on Crave. We're gonna we're planning on watching it. I, oh I, no, Prime. I watched it's on it Prime. on you. It's on uh, Prime. Prime. Maybe it was yeah. Prime. And um, I didn't see it in theaters. You know, I have a beef on two, both of those movies. Okay. And the beef is, everybody talks to their mumbling like this. Like, like it's really, really as, and, and in particular. <laughs> you with, had your hearing checked? Well, it's my dad's always going about dialogue no, in these movies now is terrible. And I always think. It, no, it's the, it's not the dialogue. It's, it's terrible. It's the, um, for both, uh, both Dune, it's like this. For serious acting, you have to say to speak in very hushed tones, almost. Really, right? And uh, uh, it was particularly noticeable with Oppenheimer, and I noticed it with Tenet. Okay, um, another, yeah, Tenet both was Chris yeah. No- Nolan, that's where a Chris the Nolan thing, where the background music was too loud. Oh yeah, and kind of over too loud for the the dialogue. Okay. So there was actually points in time where we put the subtitles on just because we're going like they're mumbling okay, and the music's too loud at the same time. Uh, so it's kind of interfering with, <laughs> but I, I didn't notice that with other movies. Are you Gen Alpha? My kids watch it. Are they, are they Alpha or whatever? My kids watch everything with the subtitles on. Really? Yeah. I'm like, why? And they're like, I don't know. It's just what we do. Well, and uh, what was the. Uh, whatever. So I saw that. So I saw Oppenheimer. Saw so Tenant, and I also watched. What'd you think of Tenant? Oh, I actually liked Tenant. Yeah. Tenant is one of these brain twisters. You got to get like, your head around the like whole uh, Inception, Inception concept, yeah. like Inception and Memento. It's yeah. kind of like these. Really... But I thought Inception was easier to understand. Tenant with the time yeah. loop Ten- thing. Tenant it's was like, super. How does this work? Yeah, exactly. I've seen like four. I didn't watch them, but there's like 45 minute long YouTube videos of people just trying to explain. What the hell is going on? How does it actually Yeah, so Tenet was super complicated, but it's one of those movies you think about afterwards. Right. 
So Oppenheimer is much more linear. is a sure. It's a great story. Like, and I learned tons that I had no idea about um, with uh, with Oppenheimer, and yeah. it was it was good. And, and it's remarkably close to the truth. There you go for Oppenheimer. Isn't his nickname Opie? Opie yeah, Oppenheimer. Opie, Opie yeah. <laughs> Robert, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. And, uh, and then there's, uh, and uh, I have to say Killian Murphy is amazing. Yes. Like he even looks like Oppenheimer. Yeah. And, um, and the other one we watched was the Korean, it's, my wife says, let's watch a comedy. And I go, okay. And so we looked it up, I think on Netflix and we saw the, the Korean movie Parasite. Oh, sounds under, funny. Under well, it's listed under comedies. And was it? That is a bizarre, twisted movie. I have to say, <laughs> um, it definitely had subtitles because I mean, it was it's all, all in Korean. Korean. Yeah. Uh, very interesting movie. There were parts of the movie where we wanted to stop and go like, we can't watch this. This is like a train wreck happening. Oh, really? Yeah. For me, so like for me, I always so it's not you, a lot of chuckles then. Well, more of a discon- it was discomfort. more of a satire yeah. kind of comedy, right? Oh, like, okay. Or like a no, no, that's not even. There, it definitely has some comedic parts, but uh, you know how people love Seinfeld, absolutely love Seinfeld, right? I hated George Costanza. Ah. Like, I'm just like, and, and for me, it was nobody can be this stupid, right? And uh, <laughs> now. Apparently, yeah. there are some that can yeah, be at times, stupid, yeah. but but George was like, was like constantly. Oh, if yeah. There was two choices. He was a uh, smart choice and a dumb choice, almost he, like a caricature. Right? Yeah. Well, I'm sure he was. Yeah. And uh, although, remember how they they did address that at one point when he he started doing, he talked about how his instincts are always wrong. Yeah. And then he just started doing anything I think is the right thing. I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like he's making money. He's got this amazing. <laughs> Exactly. He's, he's getting these women and he just keeps getting more and more extreme, right? He's just wearing velour all the time and I have no job and I live in my parents' basement and <laughs> well, let's go for coffee. And he's like. <laughs> so um, both Parasite and um, Oppenheimer definitely made you think about okay. the movies after. Right. Fact. And Parasite. I have mixed emotions about it. It's an interesting story, and it's a it's an it's an interesting story. But it is yeah, got the ending good. is kind of like very unexpected. Wow! And um, yeah, but uh, but the thing my beef was with the two other movies, the more serious serious movies, was like, why can't they get those marbles out of their mouth and <laughs> enunciate the words a bit more? There's just a lot of with gritted teeth <laughs> maybe it's a tense set yeah i don't know um but anyway I, and i'm looking forward to seeing dune 2 when it comes out finally watched the end of loki oh congratulations yeah, that was good it was good watched it, echo you watched the, the whole thing oh yeah uh enjoyed both of those watch the luther movie okay idris elba Okay, I have not seen that. So there's a whole, I think there's four seasons of Luther. Okay. Where he plays um, uh, detective chief inspector. So he's like, uh, you know, the, like the Metropolitan Police in, 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 in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then they ended the fourth series and then they came back and they did a movie. Okay. And um, the guy who played uh, Gollum. Uh, Andy, Andy Cir- Circus. Circus is the, is the villain. A little bit over the top. But the funniest thing, and I went and checked it on, the way the movie ends, there's this whole weird twist, and it's totally a tongue-in-cheek, because he'd been kind of in the running or approached to be the next James Bond. Andy Serkis? Or no, Idris, Idris, Idris Elba, Elba. But I don't think that's going to work out. No, he's too old. And so there's this whole twist at the end, which is like, wait a minute, is that an inside joke about the whole James Bond thing? Yeah. And you know, there is a theory... A fan theory that James Bond is actually not one person, right? That that it's uh, like a like a persona that every time they bring in a new top agent, right, to be this 007 license to kill, they just get like it's almost more like a call sign. You become the James Bond. It's like 007. You're not just 007. You're 007 James Bond. Yeah. So it plays on that okay mythology of. 
Interesting. Whoever's James Bond is just somebody who became that code name, if you will. Right? Very cool. And I was like, is that a thing? I looked it up on Google and sure enough, like, yep. Uh, even Idris Elba was like, are we really doing this? So I thought that was fun, but it was good. Excellent. Well, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Cool. Have a great week. I feel positive. <laughs> I feel positive. I've had a really good uh, <laughs> good day so far, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the There's day. There's a good joke about that, though, right? Where you somebody's like, this is not going to work out. I say, come on, be positive. I'm positive. This isn't going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great week. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. Bye.